Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors. My name is Pastor Clint Poppy. Along with me is Pastor Adam Moline, Vicar Timothy Steele. We are privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Our Proclaiming the One program, we gather and we take a look at the upcoming readings in the one-year series from Lutheran Service Book. The one-year series is... Uh, contrasted with the three-year series. That's what we, uh, the readings that we look at. And as we do so, we seek to proclaim the one and only Savior from sin. Today, we are in our majoring in the minors program where we take a look at the minor festivals, the uh, occasions, the feast days, the commemorations. Today, we're going to look at one of the most somber days in the entire church calendar. We're going to look at Ash Wednesday, the beginning of Lent, a day, one of only two days when the appropriate color for the day is black. And uh, Ash Wednesday has a uh, a variety of different meanings. There, there's no specific Bible celebration, feast day, or anything that you can point to for Ash Wednesday. There are a lot of traditions that are kind of wrapped up into this. We do, we do have sackcloth and ashes in uh, several places in the Old Testament. Pastor, Normally, when you see the whole sackcloth and ashes thing, what does that mean? What message is being sent? Well, it's usually an outward visible sign of mourning. And so it would happen if somebody had died, if somebody was sick. Uh, for example, we see it with Job uh, when uh, his children have been killed and when he himself is sick with sores, he sits in sackcloth and ashes and scrapes his wounds with a pot shard. Um, and so it has that idea of sadness and great weeping and mourning that goes with it uh, for whatever the cause of that mourning is. Okay, so, uh, you know, Vicar and I were having this discussion earlier while, while we were waiting for Pastor Moline to show up. But uh, that's a whole other topic. What We were having this discussion. It it's actually fits in perfect because I was getting my chimney sweeped, and so now there's ashes available. So. <laughs> yeah, sweeped, swept, swapped. Uh, <laughs> we, can, we can have him uh, work on, on that conjugation. But... Um, uh, we do have a, uh, a program that we dedicated to a lot of these customs and things with regard to Ash Wednesday, and that's our sister program at Home in Your Hymnal. That's episode 34, an entire episode devoted to Ash Wednesday. And so what we want to focus on today with our majoring in the minors focus is the actual Bible readings that are appointed for this particular day. And uh, the gospel reading, Matthew 6, 1 to 6, and then 16 to 21. That 1 to 6 is an option. And whenever we have room on our inserts, we always have the option. We always use the option here at Good Shepherd because we want people to have more word, word, word. Vicar, take it away. Gospel reading for Ash Wednesday, Matthew 6, 1 to 6, 16 to 21. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, 
Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I know many people have that as their confirmation verse. I think this was a uh, favorite of a lot of pastors back in the 40s and 50s and 60s to uh, uh, help guide and shape and people along their Christian walk. So we've got a lot of stuff going on here, Pastor, in Matthew chapter 6. Very, very briefly, what's the context? What's going on in Matthew 6? Yeah, uh, this is the second chapter of the Gospel of Matthew that is the uh, Sermon on the Mount. Uh, And so Jesus has begun. This comes right after the Beatitudes, uh, and uh, this is the very next chapter. Okay, so we've got the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is teaching. Uh, He's not giving a new law. He is expounding upon the law of God, and uh, we here have a uh, great opportunity to focus in on a couple of topics. Now, there's one word, Pastor, that just jumps out off the page through this uh, particular text, Matthew 6, 1 to 6, 16 to 21. And that word is hypocrite. Vicar, if I was going to ask you, what is a hypocrite? How would you define it? Well, a hypocrite comes from a Greek word. And basically, it was the word used for actors, someone who put on a different face. So a hypocrite is someone who does something in public but privately does the opposite thing. Okay, Uh, so a good explanation there. Pastor, what are we talking about here with regard to spiritual faith and Jesus' almost obsession here with warning against hypocrisy? Why why is Jesus doing this? Is this a a special temptation for Christians? Uh, Not just Christians, but I think for everybody is the idea is that you save yourself— uh, and uh, you want other people to 
know that you are saved and that you are in the faith and that you're a holy person and a good guy that they can trust with their business dealings or whatever. And so you go through the motions in an exaggerated way so that people might realize how important and special and holy you actually are. And every single person in the world has that temptation to do that in terms of their religion, whether they are in the religion of uh, atheism or Islam or whatever. There's always that temptation to act your religion out in such a way as to make yourself appear to be more holy than the other people around you. To to make yourself appear more holy, to make yourself appear more religious, more special, and I think here in this particular context, to make yourself appear more humble. <clears throat> because, you know, a lot of times when we're thinking about gross hypocrisy, we're talking about people who are loud and drawing attention to themselves and look at me, look at me, look at all the things that I'm doing. And uh, that that certainly can happen in the church and can happen with our faith too. You know, look look how often I come to church. Look, I, I won the Sunday School Perfect Attendance Award. Look at how much I contributed, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. But here, the things that we're talking about seem to betray a false humility and hypocrisy in humility. And uh, I don't know, what's your initial thought with, uh, with that, Pastor? Well, I think definitely um, the idea of humility in the sense that, uh, you know, you're covering yourself in ashes, you're uh, wearing sackcloth or, or, you know, wearing all black, whatever that is, uh, definitely is humility. And I think behind it is the idea, look at how seriously I take my religion. And I, I again, it is then attempt to self-justify to, uh, in the eyes of people around you, as if they're the ones who determine who's saved or not, rather than God who actually sees as Jesus is teaching, what's going on inside? Does the person have faith or not? And all that other stuff is um, at, at best responsory, uh, at worst uh, hypocritical. Matthew 6, verse 1, Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Doesn't that passage seem to teach against the very practice of the imposition of ashes that a lot of people will be participating in on Ash Wednesday? It does in one sense, and it doesn't in another. It is uh, telling you to make sure whatever's going on on Ash Wednesday that it is for the proper reasons, not so that people might look at you as you go throughout your business day and say, oh, they went to church, or, or look how good of a Christian they are. But rather, I'll, I think to match the words that are said as the ashes are applied, you know, for you are dust and to dust you shall return as a reminder that you're a sinner who needs to repent and beg God for mercy, the very thing he is eager to give through Jesus Christ. If you're doing it for the correct reasons in hearing that word and believing it, that's one, one uh, issue. But if you're doing it just to gain attention from the people around you, that's an entirely different thing, and that's what Christ is warning against. Yeah, so the, there can be no hard and fast rule against these kind of uh, traditions in the church. Um, I can't look at your heart, you can't look at mine. 
And if I am doing something to draw attention to myself, shame on me. That is sin before God. But if uh, part of my personal act of piety to remind myself that I'm a bag of bones and I'm going to die and my only hope is in Jesus Christ, then that, uh, that cross ash on my head is a good thing. And I think that's why he uses the word beware. He doesn't say don't do it. He says beware. And in other words, make sure it is for the correct reason. Excellent, excellent point. All right. Well, when we come back, we're going to keep digging into Matthew chapter 6. Um, you know, Pastor, I uh, misread the clock. we got about a minute here before we go. So let's uh, go on to verse 2. Thus, when you give to the needy, Sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do. So is giving to the needy put in the same category here as, uh, you know, our outward displays like ashes on Ash Wednesday? Again, it, it definitely can be because the things that uh, Christ is warning against to be wary of is that when we do things, uh, that we do them in a self-justifying fashion. And so if it is that I'm giving funds to the hungry so that people might realize what a nice guy I am, that's the wrong reason. If it's being done because uh, Christ has first cared for me and given me the things I have so that I can care for others, then again, we have the correct reason and the wrong reason, and Christ wants us to be wary of that, um, not to trust in ourselves and our own things uh, for our salvation, but to only look to him for our salvation. Okay, I think that's a good spot for us to stop. This is Proclaiming the One, majoring in the minors. We're looking at Ash Wednesday today. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNA. LP 95.7 FM Lincoln, Nebraska. Christ, the life of all the living. Christ, the death of death, our foe. God calls us to repentance each and every day in the waters of holy baptism. Repentance, a major theme, not only for the day, Ash Wednesday, the day that we're looking at right now, but also for the entire season of Lent. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors. We're looking at Ash Wednesday. Uh, specifically in this segment, we're going to be looking at the gospel reading. We introduced it in our previous segment, Matthew 6, 1 to 6, 16 to 21. Now, Pastor, as I look at this text, it looks like Jesus has this general overarching teaching in verse 1 where he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. Uh, we've talked a lot on this program and our sister programs with regard to the danger of self-justification or self-righteousness. And Jesus is giving us this warning. He's saying, Beware. And then uh, he, he paints this uh, picture, a distinction between a true Christian and a hypocrite. And then he goes on to give three specific examples of how people might practice their righteousness before other people. 
The first, and we talked about this right at the end of our uh, last segment, is with regard to giving. Next, Jesus talks about praying. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners that they may be seen by others. And then uh, we skip a little bit, and then we go to verse 16. And when you fast... Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. So is this a is this a fair way to look at this gospel reading, Pastor? Jesus gives this overarching theme, beware of practicing your righteousness before others. And then he talks about the specifics of giving and praying and fasting. Is that a uh, is that a fair way to approach this text? Uh, yeah, and I think that those three things that he's talking about are examples of the first category. And so, uh, you know, the practicing your self-righteousness before others in order to be seen by them is the umbrella. And then he gives these three examples of things that fall under that umbrella. But it could be, you know, lots of things. Uh, you know, um, I brush my teeth twice a day. Do you? You all look oh, at you know. But, but, I, but I floss. Do you? Right. I mean, so we could do these things where we're saying we're putting our self-forward and self-righteousness, these are not the end-all of every topic, but uh, they're examples of that first umbrella category. Okay. Uh, I think that's a great, I think that's a great way to look at this. Anything potentially can fit into this self-righteousness or self-justification that Jesus is warning his children, Christians about. And then he gives three specifics here in uh, the Sermon on the Mount with regard to almsgiving and prayer and fasting. Um, I think Giving and praying are two two biggies right now. I don't know that fasting has um, has really um, ha- is is really that prominent uh, in the New Testament church today. And yet, you see it at um, the time of Lent. You know where. I'm giving up social media for Lent, and you got to tell everybody on social media that you're doing it, or uh, whatever it is, you know, uh, doing that takes place at this time of the year all the time, and uh, it, it oftentimes becomes an act of self-righteousness that you're telling everybody about. That's, a, that's an excellent point and one that had uh, slipped my mind. When you give something up for Lent, that is a type of a fast, whether it is food or not. And, uh, you know, there are some, some church bodies that have uh, fasting built into it with regard to days of the week and what kinds of foods you can particularly eat and all that kind of stuff. I know a lot of uh, Lutheran Christians that fast on a regular basis on Sunday morning. They, uh, they don't eat any food before they receive the Lord's Supper. They just skip breakfast. And the first food to touch their lips that particular day is Christ's body and blood. And that's a, a wonderful act of personal piety, not that that has to be forced or a new law or that somebody is a better Christian than they, that they do that and others. Pastor, along with this whole discussion now, Jesus talks a lot about reward. And he talks about um, they will have, the hypocrites basically will have no reward from their father who is in heaven. The uh, hypocrites that that make a big name for themselves and uh, display things to themselves, they have already received their reward. 
Lutheran Christians get really, really nervous when we start talking about spiritual or heavenly rewards. What is it, Pastor, and uh, why would Jesus talk about this reward thing so much? Well, uh, you know, we might get nervous talking about it, but it is a scriptural teaching that the reward the Christian receives is eternal life in God's kingdom, uh, resurrection, body and soul, uh, to live in a world without sorrow or suffering or sin, uh, you know, forever. That's the reward the Christian has. Now, the reason we get a little nervous is because the word reward, uh, lots of times we think it implies that we have to do something to earn it, right? So... Um, I collected, you know, 10 stamps at uh, the local ice cream store, and so my reward is a free scoop of ice cream. You know what I mean? Uh, And that's not the same thing that we're talking about here. The reward is something that is bestowed and given undeserved and unearned. It's like your name got drawn out of a hat. Um, And uh, that's the idea we're talking about. There's no earning involved in this reward. It is earned by Christ on the cross, resurrected uh, to die and rise for the forgiveness of our sins. Do you think it's a, uh, a term that we can reclaim in uh, the Christian church or in the Lutheran church uh, with regard to heavenly rewards? Or do you think that this term is so fraught with baggage that uh, it's better uh, left off on the side? I think it can be uh, reclaimed by the church so long as we talk about it and use it correctly and explain what it means. And I think that's the case with many of the terms that uh, have had to be changed because of their misuse and misunderstanding. Um, And uh, and that's really an important thing for us to do is to realize that it is a reward and that a reward in this case is an unearned gift given by God. Well said, Pastor. Down, uh, let's skip down to verse 19 of Matthew 6. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Vicar, can you give me some examples of treasures on earth that uh, people seem to obsess over or lay up for themselves? Sure. I mean, there's the easy ones to point out, wealth, material possessions, a nice house, a nice car, you know, all those things. But there's other less concrete, tangible rewards that can be referred to here as well, like uh, respect and status and power and position in society. All these things, you know, have a certain amount of investment in them, just like material possessions do. I worked hard to get this position. I want and I deserve the uh, respect and adulation of other people. Well, that's all good and fine to, you know, want to be respected by others. But how do you want to be seen by your father in heaven? That's the more important thing. I've seen uh, I've seen a lot of older people as they get older they uh, they think about their legacy and uh, if they don't have a legacy that uh, they like they work really really hard in the years that they have left to uh, reshape and reform that legacy sometimes in a good way and sometimes in a dishonest way pastor Jesus contrasts that now in verse 20 
He says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither raw moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. When he says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, that almost seems to be be saying that I need to do something. We know that can't be the case. Uh, When Jesus says that I, the believer, am to lay up for myself treasures in heaven, how is that to be understood that it is still passive and gift? Well, um, you know, the, the thing to think about maybe, and I don't know if stores still do this, but you have the idea of layaway, right, where you, you get something and you have to pay for it later. And in this particular instance, uh, Christ has given you the gift of eternal life, forgiveness of sins, and uh, resurrection, and uh, it can be paid for later on. And in fact, it has been paid for not by yourself, but rather by Jesus himself. That's the reward idea again we talked about earlier. And so that's the thing that Jesus is saying Think about where your reward is going to be. Is it going to be here and now with your disposable things like home and uh, cash and power and influence and the fanciest smartphone and the the fastest car? Uh, Or is it going to be in heaven where the real important reward is given? And the difference between the two, of course, is faith, believing that Jesus has earned everything for you and done it for you, and living according to that faith in love towards God and in fervent love towards one another. Vicar, in what way is Jesus the treasure? I'm thinking specifically of the hymn, Jesus, Jesus, priceless treasure. In what way is he the priceless treasure? He's the priceless treasure in everything. It is by his life, death, and resurrection that we are forgiven. It is by his counsel and his comfort that we receive so much uh, comfort and encouragement in this life. He is the key that opens the gate to heaven. I mean, what isn't Jesus a treasure? How isn't Jesus a treasure? He is all in all. And I think, uh, you know, between the the last comments that you made, Vicar, and Pastor Moline, um, the question basically becomes, is Jesus your priceless treasure? Or is there something else, some, uh, some other thing, some other status, some other action that is your treasure? Because as Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be too. And if your heart is with a treasure that does not last for all eternity, what does that say about where we will be spending all eternity? First commandment. Yeah. Uh, it is. It is very much first commandment. Pastor, um, Final statement on Matthew 6, 1 to 6, 16 to 21. Well, again, I'd I'd say uh, as we're entering the season of Lent and repenting uh, and acknowledging our sin and begging God for mercy, as we do so, we can't see that as the thing that earns salvation and that we're earning our uh, eternity by doing these things, but rather we're looking forward to Christ who will do that for us on the cross, Good Friday. It's beginning us, uh, moving us in that direction, and we can't let a focus be on ourselves, but rather it needs to be on Jesus. Amen. Jesus' priceless treasure. We need to take another break. Uh, This is Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors, Ash Wednesday. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. 
Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline, Vicar Timothy Steele. We are privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. We invite you to join us for worship. We gather each Sunday at 8 and 1030. Sunday school for all ages in between. Wednesday year-round at 630. Encourage you to check out our uh, church website for any uh, changes or additions uh, during the season of Lent, Holy Week schedule, all that kind of stuff, goodshepherdlutheran.org, and uh, also the uh, radio website, thecross957.org, and we have hundreds of archive programs on our uh, podcast area, KNNA Theological Programming, Pastor Poppy Sermons, uh, what's your... With Intrepid Heart. With Intrepid Heart uh, is uh, Pastor Moline's uh, sermon site. So check them out, and uh, we'd love to have your feedback. And um, also, great opportunity to be in God's house if you're there all the time or if you've been away for a while. Ash Wednesday is always a great time to return to the Lord. Our Old Testament reading is Joel 2, 12 to 19. Now, in LSB, there are options with regard to the Old Testament reading. Joel 2, 12 to 19 is the traditional reading. Uh, some lectionaries and uh, the option in LSB is Jonah 3, 1 to 10. And this is Jonah's prayer in the belly of the fish. Is that right, Pastor? Or is that Jonah 2? I think that's Jonah 2. I think that is Jonah 2, and I think Jonah 3 is when, after he gets barfed up on the shore, when he goes and he calls the people of Nineveh to repentance, and they repent. There we go. Okay, so Joel 2, 12 to 19. Vicar? Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent, and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people. Consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room, and the bride her chamber. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep and say, Spare your people, O Lord, and make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, Where is their God? Then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. The Lord answered and said to his people, Behold, I am sending to you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied, and I will no more make you a reproach among the nations. Joel 2, 12-19, the Old Testament reading appointed for Ash Wednesday. Pastor, we've got a lot of stuff here. We've got some very familiar things going on, and uh, we've got some other 
parts of this that seem to be a little bit elusive. We've got a, a very, very prominent part of our liturgy, Divine Service 1, the um, Lenten response or the Lenten verse right before the gospel reading is read comes from this section of scripture. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. What's going on here, Pastor? What is the Holy Spirit through the prophet Joel preaching then and now? Well, uh, what he's preaching is, uh, it kind of matches along with our gospel lesson, in fact, is that we might return to God and see him as the one who sustains us in this world, who gives us all that we need to support our bodies and lives, uh, and who also is the one who redeems us through the work of his son, Jesus Christ, uh, and who is the one who makes us uh, Christians or brings us to the faith through the work of the Holy Spirit, and to take ourselves out of the equation and to not listen to our own sinful wants and desires any longer, not to follow our own opinions or uh, even to self-justify our ourselves any longer saying things like, you know, I can't help it, I was born this way, I had bad circumstances, uh, but rather to let God's word be God's word for us so that we might be saved by him. To return to the Lord is a call to repentance. Yes. And it ties in beautifully with uh, the major theme of Lent and Ash Wednesday specifically here. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And as we sing, and abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster. Pastor, we love it that God is gracious and merciful. We love it that he is slow to anger. We love it that he is abounding in steadfast love. What does it mean that he relents over disaster? I think I have a feeling what it means. I want to know what you say. Uh, When it says that he relents over disaster, what it means is um, many times in order to teach us how this world is temporary and unimportant, he allows suffering to occur. Uh, And uh, he does that to teach us to trust in him and to look to him uh, for all the things we've talked about before. And so when he relents of disaster, that's when he stops it from happening as a result of already us hearing the word and believing the word and not needing more to take place. And so I think of the book of Jonah again that you're talking about. The entire city of Nineveh heard the preaching, the word of God preached by Jonah, and they repented in sackcloth and ashes, and God did not destroy the city of Nineveh. In fact, rather, Nineveh rose in power and might and eventually destroyed the kingdom of Israel. Uh, And uh, God relented from destroying Nineveh because they believed the word. When I hear that uh, God uh, relents over disaster, I'm thinking specifically about me. And it would be disastrous for me if God sent me to hell. It would definitely. It would be disastrous. And yet God relents. God does not send me to hell. Why? Because he poured out his righteous and just wrath over my sin on his own dear son. 
So when, when which I, is the same as with Jonah, you know, which is the exact uh, same. Again, the word has come to your ear, and you have heard the word and believed it. And Jonah didn't like it. Jonah didn't like the fact that uh, the Ninevites were going to be spared. He sat in a chair under the tree and pouted. Uh, that's how much he hated the fact that God was going to be gracious and merciful to the Ninevites. He wanted them to fry, to crick fry to a crispy crunch. And so when I hear the word relent, that's a gospel word to me. Is it really a gospel word or am I importing way, way, way too much to it? No, I think it is a gospel word when God relents from destroying us. Uh, and again, that can only be accomplished through his own work, uh, as you've mentioned in Christ, uh, and that work coming to us through the preaching of the word, as we talked about with Jonah. Uh, when the word comes to us and brings us Jesus, then God no longer is angry with us for our sin. And, and in that sense, that's the two parts of repentance, return to the Lord your God, first acknowledging that we are sinners, and then secondly, believing that Christ has bled and died to forgive that sin, that we might be saved by God's mercy. Amen. Amen. Vicar, what's going on now, starting in uh, verse 15? Blow the trumpet, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room. Wait a minute. Bridegroom's got some pretty important duties there. Let him leave his room. Um the priests and ministers of the Lord weep and say, well, what's going on? It seems like there's a huge sense of urgency going on here. What's happening? It's a, it's a call to repentance, not only on an individual level, but also recognizing that the whole people of God come together in repentance. They realize that disaster is at their door and that God is the righteous judge. And so the call goes out. Let us come together, let us weep, let us fast, let us call upon the Lord that he may have mercy on us. You see this over and over again throughout the Old Testament. God's people sin, they are judged, and then they come together and they ask the Lord and they confess their sins. And they confess their sins knowing that God will forgive them. Nothing is more important as we read here in Joel 2, nothing is more important than God's call for the sinner to repent. Pastor? And I, I was going to say, I think um, you'll see the entire nation is doing that. Uh, the entire nation of Judah is called to repent and stop whatever they're doing and repent. And I think that that's a preaching and teaching that we need in our nation right now as well, to stop all of our nonsense and to just repent and to trust in God and, and to beg his mercy. And I think that's something that's really key that we need to especially consider this Lenten season. It's uh, The word repent has become kind of an empty word for a lot of people. And it's time to return to the Lord and return to his word and have him teach us what true repentance is and looks like. Pastor, at the end, it says, then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. The Lord answered and said to his people, Behold, I am sending to you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied. I will no longer make you a reproach among the nations. Um, it would seem to me that I might say, uh, grain, wine, oil, uh, thanks God. I was really kind of hoping for everlasting life. Uh, what is going on here? as God, through Joel, through Joel, 
says, I am sending to you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied. Well, um, you know, there is a certain sense where it's just literally saying the truth in that um, those are the main foods that people needed and ate at that time. Uh, they, they drank mainly wine, oftentimes mixed with water to kill the bacteria in the water. They ate mainly bread because that was easy to store and to make, and even the poor could afford it. Uh, and so in that sense, it's giving you the very basic things that you need. Uh, we're Lutherans also, so we can take it and expand it again and also see that God God is the bread of life uh, come down from heaven in Jesus, uh, and he sustains his people with manna in the wilderness, and now he sustains us with his Lord, uh, his son, uh, our Lord, Jesus Christ, who is coming to us in with and under bread and wine. Now, we always have to be careful. We can't just say every time that talks about bread and wine that it is the Lord's Supper, but I think in this particular instance, we can see it as kind of a teaching us how God provides for those people in the same way he also now provides for us. Whenever I see that word satisfied, I cannot help but think of the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000. God actually does care about my physical need, and he takes care of me now. And if he takes care of me now, he'll take care of me for all eternity. If I can't trust in God to take care of my physical need, how in the world could I ever trust in God to take care of me spiritually. So the two go together. They go together hand in hand. They go together like a bridegroom and a bride. Um, oh, we're out of time on this section. Great text. When we come back, we're going to take a look at our epistle reading, 2 Peter 1, 2 to 11. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNA. LP 95.7 FM Lincoln, Nebraska. For thy language in the garden, I will thank thee evermore. Thank thee for thy groaning sigh, for thy pleading and thy dying, for that last triumphant cry and Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, majoring in the minors today. We're looking at Ash Wednesday. We, uh, we like to take time in this majoring in the minors program to look at some of the worship services, um, festivals, feast days, commemorations, occasions that we don't often get a chance to look at, dig deep into the Bible readings. We do have a sister program on At Home in Your Hymnal, episode 34, where we look at many of the uh, traditions around Ash Wednesday. Uh, we, we do look at the uh, readings a little bit in that program, but check that out. That would be a, a great companion to this particular program. Our epistle reading, 2 Peter 1, 2 to 11. Rarely do we have 2 Peter in the lessons, in the pericope. So um, this, is, this is a unique time. Vicar, take it away. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. 
For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being effective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay. Pastor? Yes. Gut reaction. You just heard those words read. Gut reaction in light of everything that we've talked about on Ash Wednesday. I want to see if your reaction is uh, anything similar to mine. Well, again, I'd say it has to do with the whole idea of repentance and living the Christian life correctly. Uh, and that is in the sense that the the motivation, and I even hate to say it that way, the the, the cause, the action behind our uh, our lives and the way that we live them and our care for each other as well as our love to God is the fact that, as it says in the very first thing, uh, his divine power has been granted to us uh, through the knowledge of him who called us to his glory and excellence. In other words, Jesus has bled and died and risen again. We have been brought into the faith by God's love and mercy and care. And now because we're in the faith, uh, all these other things, we live a life um, that is... I don't know, honoring or worthy or... uh, Virtuous? Yes, because we are Christians, not to save ourselves, not to earn God's forgiveness, not to, uh, you know, uh, pat him on the back so he'll pat us on the back. Rather, it's because he's done everything necessary. Now we live a particular way. I was I was thinking, and thank you for that. You you put everything in perfect perspective. I was thinking that if someone was looking for a section of scripture to take out of context and make it look like our virtuous actions save us, this would be it. Mm -hmm. This would be it right here because it would be very, very easy to twist and shape these words of the Holy Spirit through Peter to make it sound like uh, we need to earn our righteousness ourselves, which is the very thing that Jesus says beware of in our gospel reading. Now, Pastor, you know as well as I do that it is very, very difficult to preach Christian virtue without it getting twisted all out of shape to make it seem like, uh, you know, the uh, Poppy and Moline are turning into Roman Catholics and it's faith plus works and all this kind of stuff with regard to what's going on. This text, I think, is the perfect text to hold that tension in uh, the proper perspective. It is not the transformation from vice to virtue. What it is, is the forgiveness of sins for our vice, which leads us to virtue. Pastor, uh, Lutherans aren't very good at this whole vice-virtue 
discussion. This is a very, very common kind of way to talk about the faith in uh, other faith traditions. But because it's so easily misunderstood, uh, we don't do a very good job of it. So is that is that a helpful way to talk about rather than improving my life and moving from vice to virtue, that true Christianity is the forgiveness of sins for our vice, and then we are transformed by the gospel into a more virtuous living. Is, is that a way to look at it? Is that helpful, or is that also confusing? Yeah, I, I think that that can be helpful. I think the the best way to talk about it would be to talk about identity. Uh, and when our identity is in any of the things of the world, whether it be our politics or our family or, uh, you know, our nationality or things like that, when it's primarily in something of this world, uh, that's an issue. But when our identity is found in Christ, in other words, when we call ourselves Christian for real, um, that that identifies us as someone who actually does care for our neighbor and, and does the things that Scripture looks for or, or, or commands, be, not because we're trying to earn forgiveness, but because that's who we are as Christians. Our identity is found in the one who fulfilled all of that. And we're not perfect at that, and we won't be until we finally leave this world, and yet we still eagerly seek to care for the people around us and to be virtuous in our living for the sake of our neighbors uh, who need that virtue and that care and that compassion. I think sometimes we fall off the uh, horse in the the other ditch because we are so worried yep. that we might possibly tell someone, give someone the impression that they are saved by their works. We act like virtue is a nothing. We act like good works are a nothing and that maybe even good works are are bad or harmful or detrimental to our salvation, like the uh, silly notions that took place at the uh, at the time of the uh, Reformation. We have a whole article on that in the uh, Formula of Concord for that. Pastor, maybe you can help me out with one particular word in verse five of Second Peter chapter one. It says, "For this very reason." Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Now, if I'm lacking in a particular vitamin or mineral, I take a supplement. Is this saying that faith is not enough to save me and that I am saved by faith plus works? Is that what, uh, is that what God's Word is teaching us here in Second Peter 1 verse 5? No, that's not what God's Word is teaching at all in the same very uh, way that, uh, you know, if you don't take your multivitamin, it doesn't mean you're going to keel over dead this afternoon. Um, but rather, uh, we... I've we, lo- got to stop you right there. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Go ahead. Uh, in the same way that, um, um, you know, we just talked about... Now I lost my train of thought when you stopped me. <laughs> when, uh, when our faith is supplemented with care for our neighbor, it means that uh, now that we have been saved and God has given us this faith and brought us the identity of Christian, now we, we do these things to care for the people around us and to provide for them and love them and cherish them because that's what Christ has done for us first. And when we do it for the people around us, in one sense, Christ is actually doing it through us. And I think he talks about this in several places in Scripture and gives that idea clearly. Good, good. Vicar. So it says here, you know, supplement 
your faith with virtue. You know, it's not adding works, but for this very reason. What reason are you doing these things? Because he has called us to his excellence and godliness. He has given us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. He's already given us everything that we need. So we're not doing anything to earn it, but rather, like Pastor Moline was saying, in that identity we have been given, we pursue godliness and holiness. God calls us to what is good, right, and salutary for the sake of our neighbor and so that all may give glory to our Father in heaven. I think that it is uh, very important, as uh, Pastor Moline stated earlier, that we look at this particular text with identity in mind. What or where uh, do we find our identity? And uh, if our identity is in the one true God who has given us divine and perfect knowledge, we will want to supplement our faith with virtue. We will want to live a holy life. Uh, I also love that, that if I don't take my uh, vitamin supplement, I'm not going to keel over dead. Well, of course not. That, that's a ludicrous kind of a picture. And yet that's exactly the picture that we need here. Because God loves virtuous living. He extols the Christian to live a virtuous life. And at the same time, that virtue does not earn our way into heaven. That's a tension. Uh, sometimes it's a tightrope to walk, but it's exactly what God's Word teaches. Yeah, and uh, I think the word virtue is maybe a word that has been lost in our modern vocabulary as well, um, and that we probably need to resurrect and explain what being a Christian means, that that really is virtue. Uh, I think the word virtue comes from the Latin vir, right? Uh, does that mean man? Is that correct? Yeah. And so um, we look at Ephesians chapter 4, where it explains what a husband and a man is to do, and that's to sacrifice himself to love his wife or those uh, other people that God has placed into his life. And that is the virtuous living that uh, we're talking about here in Peter as well, sacrificing yourself to care for others. And when you look again, what's the ultimate virtuous living then? That once again is Christ, and uh, we are but uh, poor imitations of his virtue. Biblical manhood is a life of virtue. I think that would be a very accurate statement. The uh, intro for Ash Wednesday, selected verses from Psalm 57. The gradual selected verses from Psalm 57. I encourage you to check out Psalm 57 and also Psalm 51, which is a traditional Lenten repentance type psalm. Vicar, would you uh, be so kind as to bring our study to a close for Ash Wednesday by praying the collect of the day? Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, you despise nothing you have made and forgive the sins of all who are penitent. Create in us new and contrite hearts that lamenting our sins and acknowledging our wretchedness, we may receive from you full pardon and forgiveness. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. 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 For Pastor Moline and Vicar Steele, I'm Pastor Clint Poppy. Thanks for tuning in today. Majoring in the Minors, Ash Wednesday. We'll be back again soon. God's richest blessings in Christ.